I suggest that we can prove the existence of God from the impossibility of the contrary. As Christians, we do not give up our intellect. The strongest evidence and argument for the existence of God is that without a belief in God, you can't prove anything. How can the law be material? That's the question I'm going to ask you. I would say no. And can you give me an example of anything other than God that's immaterial? Welcome to the Revealed Apologetics Podcast. I'm your host, Elias Ayala, and here at Revealed Apologetics, Our goal is to equip believers to defend the Christian faith, and we want to equip you to do it in a way that is honoring to God and faithful to Scripture. So sit back, relax, get your thinking caps on, and let's dive into our topic for today. Once again, welcome back to the Revealed Apologetics podcast. Um, I hope you guys have been enjoying the episodes thus far. Today, I'm going to be piggybacking off the last um, subject of of our last episode, um, which covered the issue of there only being two worldviews. And so we're going to piggyback off of that for today and do a comparison, a, a biblical comparison um, rather, what the Bible, what does the Bible say about believing thought and unbelieving thought, and how is this relevant to um, apologetics and uh, presuppositional apologetics in particular? But before we do that, um, I encourage folks to uh, come in with uh, questions, or rather, email me with questions. Um, and so we have a question from uh, a person whose name will not be mentioned, right? For uh, uh, confidentiality issues, all right? And so this person uh, says, Hi, Elias. Um, My question is, how can a Christian have a foot in the kingdom and the other foot in the world? I take it the baby Christian has not grown spiritually when accused to being in the world. Okay, now this question is in reference to a statement that I made in a prior podcast, um, which was something to the effect that the, the, per, the Christian cannot have one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom of God because to have one foot in both is to really just have both feet in the world, right? Because the Christian's commitment is holistic. It is a commitment that includes all of what the person is. We do not serve two masters, as Jesus says, and so we cannot have one foot in the world and one foot, quote, in the kingdom of God, okay? So the question is... Um, How can a Christian have a foot in the kingdom and the other in the world? Okay. I take it the baby Christian has not grown spiritually when accused to being in the world. Well, as a Christian, I'm not saying that we are 
always thinking, doing, acting in ways that are in accordance with the kingdom, right? There are Christians who are ignorant or uneducated in the word that might act out of accord with what the scripture teaches. They're saved, their heart is committed to Christ, but their sanctification, so to speak, has not caught up with them, right? They're still learning, they're making mistakes, and of course all of us to some degree do that. That's not what I mean by having one foot in the world, one foot in the kingdom. I would argue that if someone is genuinely serving two masters, it's the kind of person that says, well, um, I want to serve the Lord, but I don't want to stop doing these other things, and so I'm going to try and walk this fine line, uh, you know, being committed to two kingdoms, so to speak. What I'm saying is that a Christian cannot do that, right? Uh, if your heart is committed to the Lord, then it's committed to the Lord and nothing else. That does not mean you will be perfect in everything, but your heart, the direction of your heart is geared towards submitting to Christ. And of course, through the sanctification process, we are learning how to submit every day, okay? But the Christian is not at the outset saying, well, I like the things I do over here out in the world, and so I don't want to drop those things. I'm going to continue to do those things while also trying to balance my relationship with God. That's what I meant. The Christian um, is not to do that because to do that, to have that kind of mindset is just to be um, in the world. You're not serving Christ at that point. That's different than a baby Christian who has not grown spiritually um, and then is perhaps being accused of being in the world. Accusation of being in the world or having one foot in the world is not equivalent to that baby Christian actually being partially in the kingdom, partially in the world, right? So there can be a perception of others about this baby Christian saying, well, this person has one foot in the world and one foot in the, in the church, right? But in reality, it could just be that this Christian is still growing and wants to serve the Lord, but is uh, struggling and trying to make sense out of this new way of life, this new way of thinking. So I think there's a, a key difference there. All right. Well, I hope that clears up the question. And so uh, we will uh, move on. I think that is sufficient for our purposes here. All right. So let's continue back on, um, as I said, piggybacking um, upon the last episode, which um, in which we've covered the topic of there only being two worldviews. I said uh, in last episode, there are only two worldviews, the Christian worldview and the non-Christian worldview. When you are thinking along presuppositional lines, along worldview lines, uh, this must be the case. Um, and I know the, the knee-jerk reaction is to say to oneself, well, surely there are more than, than two worldviews. We have the Christian worldview, we have the Muslim worldview, the Mormon worldview, we have the Hindu worldview, the Buddhist worldview. But in reality, all the different non-Christian worldviews have one thing in common, namely that they have inherent within it an explicit or implicit rejection of the truth of the Christian worldview. And I use the example, and I think it's important to repeat here, that suppose you have a worldview which says, uh, you know, you have a person who says, I don't know if God exists. I don't know if Christianity is true, whatever, fill in the blank. I don't know. Well, from that perspective, that statement, I don't know that God exists, has implicit within it the falsification of the Christian worldview, since a very profound foundation of the Christian worldview is that all men know that God exists, and they are without excuse, right? That's Romans chapter 1, verses 18 and on, okay? Now again, you don't have to, you know, someone can say, well, that's ridiculous, I don't believe that, but that's what the Bible teaches. All men know that God exists, and we could hash that out as to 
in what way does man know? And I don't, I don't believe that um, unbelievers are just, you know, thinking within themselves, well, I know God exists, but I'm just going to suppress it. No, there is an element of self-deception here. And I don't think that this is a, this is not meant to be something that's condescending. If the Bible's true, which I believe it is, um, then this is the case. To deny that all men know that God exists is to just say that the Christian worldview is false because that's what it teaches, right? So uh, what's the point of this? The point is to show that all different non-Christian worldview perspectives have that in common. And so it is legitimate to place them side by side. You have the worldview of the Christian, the Christian worldview, and the non-Christian worldview. And all of the subcategories, really, they're just in-house uh, squabbles, so to speak. They all reject the truth of the Christian worldview in some way, shape, or form. Okay. Another reason why we point out that there are two worldviews is to identify the reality that within the uh, worldview framework, within the competition of worldview perspectives, um, there is no neutrality, right? The person who rejects Christianity at the outset is not neutral in regards to Christianity. And the person who says, I don't reject Christianity, but I don't know if God exists, is implicitly rejecting Christianity because the claim of the Christian worldview is that all men know that God exists um, and hence are without excuse. You see, so there's no neutrality, right? And to be consistent as Christians who are going to engage in the apologetical task in a way that is consistent with Scripture, we must not be neutral in our thinking. This I cannot stress this enough. There is a fundamental antithesis, a pressure point of opposition between the Christian worldview and the non-Christian worldview. And we must be committed to our Christian commitments. We are holding to Christian presuppositions. Our mind is rooted in the revelation of God. We do not let one inch in that area. Once you allow for some kind of neutral area, some buffer zone, some, uh, you know, you have two uh, sides of uh, in a war fighting, you have kind of this buffer zone where it's kind of a safe space where we can talk about things for a moment. No, in the war against worldviews, there is no neutrality, right? The Christian philosopher Greg Bonson uh, um, used to call this the myth of neutrality, right? There's this assumption that we can be neutral in regards to some things, um, but of course we can't be neutral in regards to others. No, the Christian worldview states that there is no neutrality in anything, okay? Right? Because we are committed to Christ. God created all things, and so anything that opposes or contradicts what God has established is not neutral. And anyone who says anything contrary to what God has established is not neutral, right? So this is very, very important. And if we want to be consistent, when we begin with neutrality, we are not beginning in a philosophical outlook that is rooted in Christ. You see, because if we use the scriptures as our, our, as our starting point, to be consistent, we need to acknowledge that non-Christian thought begins with hostility to God, right? This is, this is a fundamental Christian truth, right? And so when we're engaging with the unbeliever, we want to engage with respect, with gentleness, but at the same time, we are not engaging with them in a neutral fashion. We do not start with unbelieving philosophical outlooks, okay? The Bible has much to say about the mind of the unbeliever. And again, this doesn't mean to be, con this is not meant to be condescending or insulting. But as Christians, we believe that the Bible is the revealed word of God, and it is revealed from a, for the one who knows all things. And if God knows all things, 
then it follows that he knows the heart and mind of the unbeliever. And this is what he reveals to us about the unbelieving mind. Ephesians chapter 4, let me turn there. I thought I had the reference there, so bear with me. Ephesians chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. Ephesians 4, verses 17 through 18. And here is the folly, the foolishness of beginning our thinking in unbelieving, uh, on unbelieving foundations. Okay, this is verse 4, I'm sorry, chapter 4, verses 17 through 18. It says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do, catch this, in the futility of their minds. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Notice the characteristic of, of worldly thinking. Okay, We are, first of all, as Christians, we are no longer to walk as the Gentiles do. Right, So we're, we're encouraged not to think along the lines of, of the unbelievers Right, because they walk in the what? Futility of their minds. And their understanding, according to verse 18, is darkened because they're alienated from the life of God because of what? Ignorance that is in them, right? Um, and so we do not start from a place of ignorance. We do not start from a place of uh, darkness. We do not start from a place of futility. We start on the firm foundation of God's revelation. And that firm foundation informs how we are to engage in apologetics and how we are to understand um, our um, our opponents, if we can use that word, within the worldview debate or discussion or, or apologetic context, okay? Psalm 36 verse 9 says, In God's light we see light. We begin with the light of the knowledge of God, right? And we do not turn from that light to adopt neutral, non-Christian presuppositions, right? For to turn from the light of God, the truth about God, which comes from God, is to turn away from the knowledge that God provides to the darkness of ignorance, as Ephesians 4, 17-18 suggests, right? We are to be rooted in a Christ-centered philosophy, okay? And um, as being rooted in this Christ-centered philosophy, um, we take with that the firm foundation of God's word, all right? Vain thinking is thinking not in accord with God's word. We are not to start there. Neutrality is vain thinking. So we should not engage in neutral, um, in a neutral mindset, a neutral philosophy, right? All right. In Colossians 2.8, it teaches us that all the treasures of Christ, right, are, are all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, sorry, are hidden in Christ, okay? Um, and so Colossians tells us that we are to avoid philosophy that's rooted not in Christ, but rather a philosophy that's rooted in humanistic, worldly, non-Christian presuppositions. We're called to um, avoid uh, that kind of philosophical thought. So, so what does this look like? What does it look like to start on the foundation of God's revelation as opposed to starting on the foolish foundation of the unbeliever, okay? Well, in, in kind of just a practical way, it is to engage in apologetics and life, of course, everything we engage in, in everything, whether it's life, um, family, whatever element of, of human experience, we are to engage 
in those things, all the while being informed by God's word. Okay, from an apologetic standpoint, I go into the apologetical task assuming what God has said about the world, what God has said about knowledge, what God has said about how I should live my life, and I confront the unbeliever with the Christian worldview. I do not start from ambiguity. I do not start from ignorance. I assume that God's revelation genuinely informs me about the way the world is, and to reject that is to start from a place of darkness. Now, of course, remember what I said at the beginning. There are only two worldviews. If you do not start with the Christian worldview, then I would argue you are starting from a place of darkness. And I don't mean that in some nebulous, abstract sense. I mean that quite literally, actually. If you study the history of, of Western philosophy, what, have, what do we have? We have just a, a, a conglomeration of different philosophies and different metaphysical outlooks and different theories of knowledge which have produced um, nothing but skepticism. Um, you have all forms of, of skepticism that produ that's produced from uh, the ancient Greek philosophy. You had issues, um, philosophical problems that derived from humanistic, um, um, I mean, a, a humanistic synthesis between uh, Greek thought and Christian thought, right? And then, of course, I would argue that the Bible does not teach us to mix those categories, but rather that when we start with the certainty of God's uh, word and the worldview that is produced from the, from the scripture, that we start from a place of wisdom, that we have a foundation for knowledge. When we believe God, when it says in Proverbs 1-7 that the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord, when we start with a reverence and respect for what God has declared about the world he has made, then we will have a genuine understanding of, of things. In regards to knowledge, when we um, have reverence and respect out of the one who is the source of all knowledge, then we can have a true knowledge. We could have certain knowledge about various things. Um, but when you reject that, right, what does the Bible say? Proverbs 1.7. For the beginning of knowledge is the fear of the Lord, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. To reject the firm foundation of God's revelation, to reject what God says about the world, is to adopt foolishness. That's what, that's what the Bible teaches. Okay, We are to be rooted in Christ. And to be rooted in Christ means that we are not rooted in worldly philosophy, which oftentimes is rooted in neutral thinking. Right? If we are rooted in Christ, then we're not rooted in neutral thinking. Because to be rooted in Christ is to acknowledge his lordship over all things, our thinking included. When we became Christians, we didn't become Christians by adopting worldly patterns of thought. Right? Because the world doesn't know God, 1 Corinthians one twenty one. Rather, we became Christians because there was a spiritual rebirth that occurred within us. Right, We've been given a new nature. We've been called to a new way of thinking. As believers, we have new commitments, new presuppositions, a new way of interpreting the world. One that's in, that's in accordance with Christ and not in accordance with the world. Right, So uh, we want to engage in apologetics from the standpoint of being faithful to the word of God. When we adopt neutrality, when we speak of the hypothetical possibility of the non-existence of God or only God probably exists or these kinds of things, we are not standing on the firm foundation of God's word as self-attesting. We're not standing on God's word as our ultimate authority. Okay, This is another important thing. 
um, in apologetics, we need to recognize that the Word of God is our ultimate authority. There is nothing higher than the authority of God. For to appeal to something external to God's authoritative Word is to presuppose that that thing that we appeal to is itself more ultimate than the Word of God itself. And that's not the case. This is why when God makes a promise in the Bible, he says, I swear by myself. Well, why does God swear by himself? Well, because there's no one and nothing higher than God. And so we acknowledge that the scriptures is self-attestingly true. It does not require external validation because there is nothing external to it that can stand as judge over it. Okay, so again, there's much more to be said in regards to how that looks and how we hash that out and how we explain that. Um, but let's summarize here real quick. In apologetics, there are only two worldviews. Uh, there is no neutrality. The Christian, to be consistent, we are going to stand on the firm foundation of God's revelation. Um, we understand the entire world. We understand knowledge. We understand ethics and how we should live our lives in light of that revelation. And we do not um, sacrifice those truths to accommodate unbelieving philosophy, the unbelieving assumption of neutrality in one's thinking. Okay, We believe that all knowledge relies upon God. And so we do not pretend as though we can engage in intellectual discourse independent of the reliance upon God. All right, And so we bring the entire Christian worldview system to bear against the unbeliever. And we challenge the unbeliever. Um, you have your own system. Let's compare system and system. Remember the last the last episode I said that, you know, there I have a worldview. The unbeliever has a worldview. I interpret things in light of my worldview. The unbeliever interprets things in light of his worldview. How do we break this impasse? Well, quite simply, which worldview, which outlook on the world can make sense out of intelligible experience, can make sense out of things like science regularity in nature, the coherency of history, right? Which worldview understanding can make sense out of these issues? I would argue, and this is part of the presuppositional argument, that the proof for the truth of the Christian worldview is that if it were not true, you couldn't prove anything at all. Now again, that's not a mere assertion. The challenge is thrown out there. If the unbeliever thinks he can produce coherency, intelligibility, and knowledge within his own worldview, given his own principles, that are not grounded in the Word of God, but from the Christian perspective is grounded, grounded in futility, coming from a place of ignorance and a darkened understanding. If you think you can build up knowledge, you can, you can build up intelligibility from that non-Christian foundation, then we need to engage in, in worldview interaction, right? That is the presuppositional challenge that we bring. But my encouragement to believers is that when we're doing apologetics, we want to do so in a way that is honoring and pleasing to God being committed to his word and what that word has to say about the nature of reality, how we acquire the knowledge that we have, and how do we live in light of that. All right. Well, thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you guys find this beneficial. Take care and God bless. Bye-bye. Thank you very much for listening to Revealed Apologetics. If you have any questions that you would like me to answer um, on one of our podcast episodes, please feel free to send in your question uh, at revealedapologetics at gmail.com.